The boss at the world's largest cruise ship company admits there were problems with how it followed environmental regulations. Clearly, there were some gaps. Carnival Corporation CEO Arnold Donald's acknowledgement comes after the company admitted to the problems in federal court in June and agreed to pay a $20 million fine. The company and his leadership were criticized in court for taking a lax attitude toward the company's environmental troubles. I'm Tom Hudson. Coming up on the Sunshine Economy, Carnival Corporation CEO Arnold Donald. The company was the first American cruise operator to stop in Cuba when U.S. travel restrictions were reduced. But those trips ended quickly this summer when the Trump administration banned them again. It's all ahead in our conversation with the Carnival boss next on the Sunshine Economy. Welcome to the Sunshine Economy here on WLRN. We are back on the air. Thanks again for listening and supporting Public Radio. I'm Tom Hudson. Arnold Donald says he had plans to be in federal court on June 3rd in Miami. That was the date of a hearing in front of a judge overseeing the probation of the company Donald Leeds Carnival Corporation. The company pled guilty in 2016 to several pollution charges, and in 2017 it was put on five years probation. One of the conditions of that probation was that a court-appointed monitor would watch over the company's environmental practices. In the first year of probation, the monitor had found several violations, including Carnival sending in its own teams to ships before independent environmental inspectors, dumping plastic mixed with food waste in protected waters of the Bahamas, and falsifying training records. In April, the judge hearing the case threatened to ban Carnival ships from docking in the United States and was frustrated by the absence of Donald and other top Carnival executives from that springtime court appearance. The people at the top are treating this as a gnat, the judge said at the time. She wound up issuing a court order requiring Donald and Carnival Corporation Mickey Aronson to be in court in June, the hearing Donald says he already had planned on attending. The court was disappointed and how they felt we were responding uh, to some of those things. That is Donald speaking to the Sunshine Economy in August in his first public comments since Carnival admitted to a half dozen probation violations and agreeing to pay a $20 million fine. We take our responsibility for environmental stewardship very, very seriously. But the federal court didn't think so, which led to the court-ordered appearance. And the probation report also was critical of Carnival's commitment to cleaning up its act, It said the company's complex corporate structure with nine separate cruise brands across the globe hurt its ability to watch over its environmental practices and called attention to Carnival's culture. We spoke with Donald about the company's environmental record and how it has responded to faults found in its practices. It's a top priority for us um, to be best in class and to make certain we have continuous improvement. Has it always been a top priority? Because one of the criticisms that the judge in the probation case, who was the same judge in the original case, one of the criticisms that the judges had of Carnival and your leadership is that it wasn't being taken seriously, or at least the court didn't think that the environmental probation uh, terms were being taken seriously by the leadership of Carnival Corporation. I think it's evident from the court's reaction that even though we felt it was a top priority in, in the culture, that, you know, clearly that wasn't coming across and there was room for improvement. Um, So, yeah, we felt like um, it was a top priority for us, but we've seen some gaps and we've responded to that and we've taken actions. Um, uh, We brought in a new lead in in ethics and compliance. Um, We've, you know, restructured some of the things we do. 
we want to get better. We, we desire to get even better. The court-appointed monitor who was set up to review the work uh, that Carnival was doing to comply with the original probation um, criticized the, the structure of the company, decentralized. The nine brands uh, uh, was thought to work against um, really having a culture of compliance as it relates to environmental standards. Do you agree with that assessment? I think that um, a centralization of oversight, um, you know, is definitely the right way to, to go. And we felt we had that, um, but clearly there were some gaps and misses. And so where were those gaps, do you think? Um, I think the gaps were, you know, evidenced by by the conversations with the CAM and, and the court and, and whatnot. That CAM they, is the court-appointed monitor. Court-appointed yeah. monitor. That, that they didn't believe that, you know, we were taking it seriously, that it wasn't a priority. And if somebody from the outside looks at us and says that, then there's obviously some gaps. And so the things we've done is we've brought in a, a an expert in compliance and, and ethics. Um, he's building a, a, a stronger oversight team centralized. We have, are proposing those changes um, to the court, uh, and we feel very good about you know, the direction of those changes. All of this has elevated all of our attention. You know, uh, at one of the conference hearings, I brought in every brand leader we had and uh, most of the maritime leaders so they could hear directly from the court. Uh, and so I think it's an elevation of focus, some real restructuring in the compliance area that I think will strengthen us um, in our investigations area as well. I think all of those things are good. And, you know, we want to do really well. We really feel... Um, not only is the right thing, but we really want to do it. I want to do it. I mean, we all want to be, you know, proud of our record. And, and there are many things we've done that we are proud of. I mean, we're the, we've been innovators in advanced air quality systems. You know, we've been innovators in liquefied natural gas, which reduces um, both those things, uh, reduce emissions, and innovators in terms of leading the industry and leading the maritime industry in these areas. So there are a number of things we do that we're very proud of. But we want to be proud of everything we do, and there's clearly um, room for improvement, and, and we're focused on continuous improvement. When the court-appointed monitor wrote that the corporate governance uh, and culture issues are more significant barriers to creating a sustainable compliance culture, uh, that was in a report that was handed in to the court. How do you hear that kind of criticism? What does that mean for you and your leadership and, and some of the decisions that you have made and, and are expecting to make? You know, I think what it says to me clearly is that um, uh, an outside party looking in, um, you know, they see gaps. And and I think— Are those gaps real, though, in your uh, assessment? I, I think some of the gaps absolutely are real. And um, and because internally we saw gaps as well, and, we, and, and there were things we were trying to address. Um, and so I think that the important thing is that, you know, we've taken the counsel, uh, we've taken the feedback, and we've acted on it. And uh, we've acted on it in a very demonstrative, you know, um, committed way. Um, and we're doing it because we really want to have continuous improvement, and we really want to make certain that, you know, we're doing everything to even have one incident is one too many. Uh, the old saying in business is, uh, culture eats strategy for breakfast. <laughs> Uh, you've heard that often, I'm sure, in your career. It's a long career. You've been very successful. You've been with Carnival for a good number of years, obviously a CEO, but even before that as, uh, uh, as a member of the board of directors. Uh, did this experience find something wrong with the culture 
of Carnival? I think um, uh, something wrong with the culture. I think uh, every culture evolves and can use improvement. And, and I think um, fundamentally our people, 120,000 employees, they're passionate and they're committed. They want to exceed guest expectations, and they're focused on doing the right thing. I think what it pointed out as much as culture is the issue of are we providing them all the training, all the tools, all the support that they need um, to make sure, and, and that we are inspiring in them you know, uh, confidence to proactively speak up, you know, to point out the things that they think need to be improved, and then at all levels, do we have the listening to be able to hear those things and act on them in a timely way? And I think that's the area of the culture that um, we want to make certain we emphasize and happens because our people really want to do the right thing. And so we just have to make certain that the environment that they have, you know, has them feel that they should be very proactive, have the confidence to be proactive, to know it's going to be listened to and heard in a constructive way, um, and, and so on, and that we train our people to be able to listen and hear. That sounds like a direct response to another criticism that the court-appointed monitor wrote about in the report, saying the company appears to have a blame culture with a focus on identifying errors and disciplining individuals rather than also evaluating systemic issues that may need to be addressed. Uh, when you hear that kind of criticism, um, is this language that you're using here today, the proactive nature, identifying problems, is that a change in messaging to those 120,000 employees? I, w- I would not actually say it's a change in messaging. I would say it's a focus to make certain we achieve it. And, um, you know, we have stuff that predated all this where we encourage people to be open and all that. But obviously, um, in some instances, it didn't work. And so it's an area of focus and opportunity for Enhance to actually achieve it. So it's not just a matter of words. It's not just a matter of a speech from me or just a matter. It has to be instilled throughout the organization and throughout the culture. And we have a large organization. And um, I'm certain in a lot of quarters, you know, they would hear those words and say, that doesn't sound like us, okay? In other quarters, they probably hear those words and say, that sounds just like us. Uh, on the issue of culture, with the nine brands, the decentralized nature of the business, having those brands kind of act and behave on their own was cited as a place of criticism in the court-appointed monitor. You've identified in compliance this could be an area that needs to come together. How much of that culture kind of lies at the feet of the leaders of those brands or comes to your door? While we felt we had centralized oversight, Okay, clearly, you know, there were some gaps. Not meanwhile, there was a lot of progress too, but there was an opportunity to elevate that and to improve it and to enhance it. We're also looking on our board at adding some additional compliance expertise at the board of directors level. Uh, the board is forming a special compliance committee uh, to, um, you know, not only take care of this particular situation and involve an environmental compliance plan. You've got about two and a half years left, I think, on the original probationary period. As you go through this process on the environmental um, situation, how will you judge success or failure? When will you know uh, um, if you have succeeded? 
you know, this isn't about a period of probation or anything. You know, this is about an, an instilled intrinsic behavior, okay, that we want to have in our uh, organization that really strives for and delivers on excellence in safety, environmental protection, and compliance. Um, I don't think the job will ever be done. I think we'll notice progress and improvement um, when we see whether it's culture surveys inside our company, where we hear from the outside folks um, that, you know, you know, our game has been elevated even further than what it has. And we continue to lead in many ways um, as we do in many ways already today in, in environmental, you know, best practice, um, you know, all over the world that we operate. Have these troubles shown up on ships in terms of uh, customer acquisition, customer comments? Again, I think one incident is one too many. Um, to, to say that we've seen a big impact from guests or any of that sort of thing, no. But that's not the right metric. That's Carnival Corporation CEO Arnold Donald speaking with us in August from his office in Doral. Now, the company, or one of its cruise brands, has pled guilty to two previous pollution cases dating back to 1998. It's about halfway through its current five-year probation for pollution violations. Since the company's guilty plea to violating that probation in June, it has announced an effort to cut way back on single-use plastic on board its ships. The goal is to stop buying and using single-use plastic cups, lids, straws on all nine of its cruise brands by the end of 2021. You know, I think in most cases, if you think about waste, waste is cost. (laughs) And so, you know, any waste you eliminate, you're actually eliminating cost. And so, um, you know, if you're looking at alternative materials for uses and stuff, and in the main, um, you know, cost can play a factor across the alternatives that you would choose to use. But cost isn't the driver that you're going to use to make the decision on single-use plastics or not. Now, still to come with the Carnival Corporation CEO, Arnold Donald, the business of cruising and the strength of the cruising consumer. We see things are robust here in the U.S. We, we don't see any big tapering off. Welcome back to the Sunshine Economy here on WLRN, and we're back on the air on Mondays. I'm Tom Hudson. Thanks for supporting and listening to Public Radio. You can catch previous episodes of the Sunshine Economy from past years by searching the title of the program, Sunshine Economy, on iTunes. Today we're featuring our recent conversation with Carnival CEO Arnold Donald. We spoke with him in late August inside his office at Carnival headquarters in Doral. Rumors of a coming economic recession have worried investors. Carnival stock price is down about 25% over the past year, but Donald says they do not see any indication the American cruiser is slowing down. We see things are robust here in the U.S. We, we don't see any big tapering off or um, big consternations around spend. We don't see any big change in trends at this point. That's not to say it couldn't happen, but at this point, we have not seen um, that the U.S. market remains robust for us. Now, of course, the cruise industry is not immune to global economics. In its second quarter earnings report, Carnival pointed to the economic weakness, for instance, in Europe as a challenge for its cruise brands there. While we're not recession-proof, we're probably a little more recession 
resilient than a lot of other industries. Donald credits the nature of the company that it can move its assets, its ships, around the world to find strong cruising markets. But one of those destinations in the Caribbean has been eliminated from Carnival's itineraries, Cuba. Carnival was the first American cruise ship company in 38 years to dock at the Port of Havana when it sailed in 2016 as the Obama administration was easing travel restrictions. Three years later, those cruises have stopped. In early June, the Trump administration banned cruise ships from sailing between the United States and Cuba. It was a high-profile piece of Carnival's business in Miami and a profitable one. The ending of these trips is just one reason the company reduced its profit outlook for the full year, something you'll hear from the CEO in a few moments. When the White House announced the ban, it gave cruise companies and passengers just one day notice. Carnival CEO Arnold Donald says they learned about it along with everyone else. We knew that uh, there were considerations underway. Um, We had known that for some time. Um, we tried to proactively weigh in on those things as an industry and as an individual company, but we learned when the world learned. And um, it was a bit of a surprise uh, to us and, and the suddenness of it and the immediacy of it. Um, it, was, it was a surprise. Um, but, you know, our assets are mobile, and things happen all over the world every year, and so we have to be prepared to move ships and reposition and rebook guests and so on or um, in the case of Cuba, in our case, you know, it, it was one destination, usually an itinerary, as opposed to in most cases, it's just one stop. So, you know, you either do a, a day at sea or you put in a different port of call, um, but you give guest options. Given that Carnival and others in the cruise industry were involved in discussions prior to that decision, do you feel that point of view was simply ignored by the administration? I wouldn't um, try to venture what the administration did or didn't consider and stuff. All I know is what the outcome is. And and the outcome is we're not able to go to Cuba now. We were so proud that, um, you know, we were the first to go to Cuba. Uh, Very proud of the reception we received and the joy that those that were visiting Cuba were experiencing and connecting with the Cuban people. I'm very proud of the economic impact we're having for individuals in Cuba. Having said all that, um, when we're able to go back, we'll be happy to go back. But, you know, we try not to try to interpret and judge, you know, government actions. Is Carnival or the industry actively working with the administration to try to uh, reduce some of those cruising travel restrictions, if not uh, go back to the licenses that were in place? I think our position and requests are well understood um, within the administration. And um, I'm sure they'll you know, do what they think they need to do for the you know, uh, good of uh, American citizens. And um, should this administration or a future administration open up travel to Cuba, we'll be um, very excited to go. The ships that Carnival was sending into Cuba, do those remain in the Caribbean? Uh, yeah, our ships are staying in the Caribbean. And as I say, Cuba was often um, just one um, stop. On, on, a, on a Caribbean tour. It refreshed the Caribbean. Um, it may, uh, for some people, it may have been the reason they chose to take the cruise, and then they get to see other parts in the Caribbean as well. But um, generally speaking, our ships will, will, will continue in the Caribbean. The dip in financial performance that you attributed to the cancellation of the Cuban cruises as the licenses to cruise to Cuba were canceled by the Trump administration, um, is, is that a blip? Has that been brought back that financial impact? Have you have you found the way through that? Well, you know, it's one of many things. As we plan for 2020, it takes away a high-yielding itinerary. 
Uh, that, Meaning profitable. Uh, yeah, profitable, but, you know, just higher ticket pricing and so on and so forth. But, yeah, absolutely profitable. Um, you know, but the other itineraries are also profitable, and so we'll replace it with profitable ones that might not be exactly as much pro- as profitable as that would have been. Um, but in the end, we go to 700 destinations around the world. And, um, you know, we used to be able to go to the Black Sea. We can't now. There were periods of time we couldn't go to Egypt. Um, we haven't yet fully introduced itineraries back into Turkey yet. And so, you know, this is not uncommon for us, and it's something that's a part of the business. Uh, we have to be in compliance with laws everywhere in the world. Uh, we always respect, you know, the people who live in the places, and we follow their rules. And so um, it's not unusual for this type of thing to happen, and um, you know, we just have to deal with it. Speaking with Carnival Corporation Arnold Donald in late August. Now, still to come, more of our conversation, including eliminating Cuba from its cruise schedules. It's hurt profits at Carnival this year, as have repairs to a single ship. Our current guidance is will be uh, comparable to last year's record earnings, uh, so not a double-digit earnings growth this year. This is the Sunshine Economy on WLRN. I'm Tom Hudson. We are back on the air on Mondays here on WLRN. You can tell your smart speaker to play WLRN, or you could also listen live through the WLRN app. One ship not sailing and one country missing from the itinerary mean the world's largest cruise line won't be as profitable as expected just a few months ago. Carnival Corporation reduced its earnings per share forecast this summer for the second time this year. But unlike in March, when it cut its profit outlook because of higher oil prices, in June the company blamed mechanical problems with one of its newer ships and the Trump administration suddenly banning cruises from the United States to Cuba. The trouble is kind of new for Carnival. The company had been on a roll, growing profits at a double-digit rate almost every year since Arnold Donald became CEO in 2013. In his five years, profits have dropped year over year only once in 2017, and that was largely thanks to a very busy hurricane season in the Caribbean. This year, the company has warned investors that profits per share will be about the same as last year. Our current guidance is will be uh, comparable to last year's record earnings, uh, so not a double-digit earnings growth this year. Unlike in 2017 when the company's business was held back by Mother Nature and the hurricane season, this year the challenges are man-made. One is the impact from ending its cruises between the United States and Cuba. That business stopped suddenly in early June when the State Department stopped allowing people to travel to the island by water, including cruise ships. Carnival was the first cruise operator to sail into Havana when that restriction was first lifted in 2016. Cruise ship operators were forced to scramble to change itineraries, deal with passenger cancellations, and offer discounts. For Carnival, it means $35 million less in earnings this year. The second problem for Carnival's profits is one of its newest ships, the Carnival Vista. It was launched in 2016 and sails out of Galveston, Texas. But in July, it was sent to a floating dry dock in the Bahamas and missed three cruises. It had a problem with its propulsion that slowed the ship down. But before it went in for repairs, other cruises were also affected. So in all, the loss of the Vista for about three weeks in July is expected to cost Carnival $63 million in lost profits over the course of this year. We spoke about the company's financials when we spoke with CEO Arnold Donald last month in his office in Doral. 
Well, we have over a um, hundred vessels, almost 106 vessels. Um, we have uh, they cumulatively, while we're small as an industry, um, you know, each vessel is a significant contributor because you know we generate over three billion dollars in earnings a year. And so, um, Vista is one of the most profitable boats for you, right? Yeah, Vista is um, uh, in the Carnival brand, and uh, uh, she's a very efficient vessel, uh, one of our newer ones, uh, and um, and a high performer. Uh, so yeah, so uh, but that's not unusual for any one ship if it's been taken out for you know a period of time, and it gets compounded by the fact that if you take it out on scheduled, you have a lot of guests that are booked on that ship, and we have to give consideration you know to our guests, and obviously should give them consideration um, if we're potentially disrupting their vacation plans, and so you know that compounds the effect. It uh, talks about the ticket price as well and the onboard spend that uh, was taken out of service when the Vista was taken out of service for the repairs. Uh, the quarterly um, call, you discussed uh, ticket prices, which looked to be across the brands roughly flat, but the onboard spend was increasing. Frankly, in our business, I think there's been one year in the history of the business. Um, uh, in 2022, um, we'll have our 50th uh, anniversary. And um, one year out of all those years, have onboard revenues not increased. <laughs> so onboard revenues increase almost every year, and it's just because there's so many opportunities uh, to give the guests what they want, when they want it, and how they want it. As you build capacity, that allows more guests to come on, that increases the guest spend on board. But that really has been an area of, of profit growth for the company, especially if you are competing on price on tickets. Yeah, absolutely. And it's not just capacity because we measure you know, our growth on a on an index, and uh, and so the bottom line is that it's not just because of capacity. It's you know each and you know on average each guest spending more than they did the prior year. Let me uh, ask about capacity in these other places that um, that Carnival is cruising in. Uh, new ships coming on board um, uh, over the next several years. Capacity growing, I believe in. Uh, in Europe, in China, in Alaska, particularly overall in 2020, capacity up, um, what, about 7.3% according to the latest data. How long does Carnival expect that kind of capacity growth to continue? Well, you know, first of all, as you know, our industry fundamentally is capacity constrained. So we're underpenetrating every market in the world, uh, including the U.S. The increase in number of people traveling each year far exceeds the increase in number of people that crew, so our penetration is always reasonably low. Uh, so, having said that, um, we have capacity plans, you know, through uh, 23, 24 time period now. Seven um, percent is kind of a peak for us. Uh, you know, it's difficult for us to grow much more than that. How flexible is that given macroeconomic concerns? You don't seem concerned right now about the economy, but as you mentioned, things are fluid. If the economy, if some of those markets, uh, Europe or the United States, you begin to sense some softness, how flexible are those uh, shipbuild plans? Um, first of all, new bills, you're always going to build them. And the reason is because they're more efficient uh, than the existing um, hardware. And so you're always going to build the new ships. The question is if you see a problem with demand, which we don't, but if you do, then what you would do is exit the less efficient vessel sooner. 
and that's how you, we would manage demand. We have nine brands, yep. and so when we're building three or four ships a year, that's not even one ship per brand. Um, so bottom line is we'll be building new ships because they're far more efficient. Uh, and um, if we see a problem, then, yeah, we're large enough and we have enough capability that we would probably exit less efficient ships sooner. Um, but right now, uh, even with you know the softness in the general travel market, for example, in Europe, um, you know, we had significant capacity increases and filled our ships. Now, we'd like to fill them at even higher prices. Um, onboard revenues were strong, but we'd like to get even better pricing, and that's what we're going to work on. What's holding back some of those better pricing from Carnival's perspective? In Europe, uh, some of the competitive set with a combination of some reduction in general travel and reopening of markets that are trying to attract people, uh, especially in the Mediterranean, you know, that puts some, some pressure uh, while we're also expanding capacity at the same time. And you know, we make these decisions two years, three years ahead of time. So it's not always perfect timing when we enter uh, to um, additional capacity in a market. On the other hand, these are 30-plus-year assets, so we're not doing it for any one year. We're doing it for overtime returns. That's Carnival Corporation CEO Arnold Donald speaking with us in late August. The company will have about 20 new ships in the water by 2025. Some will replace older vessels. Still to come, more of our conversation, including the company's work to invent technology, reshaping the passenger's experience, and helping the company's bottom line. A ship is what? It's a hotel. It's a restaurant. It's an entertainment venue. It's a spa. It's all these things. And all those things exist on land. And so if this technology works great in the ship environment, there's high probability it could work great in a lot of different land environments. Welcome back to the Sunshine Economy, and welcome back to Mondays for the Sunshine Economy. Thanks again for listening. We're back on the air now here on WLRN on Mondays. I'm Tom Hudson. The big cruise companies have been in an arms race over ships, amenities, and technology in recent years. The competition has led to bigger and bigger ships, fancier ships, new diversions on board like 10-story water slides and wave pools, and new devices that tie in with passenger smartphones. Just because cruisers are at sea doesn't mean they have to let go of their phones. There has been a big push to use technology to ease the check-in process, find friends, family, and activities on ships, and integrate technology into the entire onboard experience, from dinner reservations to poolside drinks. It's been such a big push that in 2017, Carnival Corporation CEO Arnold Donald was the main speaker at the Consumer Electronics Show. So, look, it's wonderful to be here today. You know, I'm excited to share our new innovation with all of you. It was the first time someone from the travel industry was the opening speaker at this annual technology trade show that highlights the newest technologies for consumers. After all, this was the convention where the first VCR designed for the home was unveiled in 1970. In 2014, it was the Blu-ray DVD player that made its debut. The Commodore 64 computer, remember that? It made its first appearance at the 1982 Consumer Electronics Show. In 2016, Chevy used the show to unveil an all-electric car designed to sell for less than $50,000, the Bolt. So yeah, big news happens at CES. In 2017, Donald was on stage. So at Carnival Corporation, it's our passion, our absolute passion to make sure... He was standing in front of a video screen with a map of the world. 
There were lines connecting cities like San Jose, Seattle, Chicago, and cities in Asia, UK, and Slovakia, all back to Doral. In hidden locations across the globe, conceiving, designing, and creating, with some of the most talented partners from around the world, to come up with the most personal, yet simple and intuitive, vacation experience on this planet. This was the introduction of Carnival's Ocean Medallion. It's a device passengers wear that allows them to unlock their cabin door without a key card, buy stuff without cash or a credit card, find people on board, knows what you like to eat and drink. The device itself is about the size of a quarter. And Donald was not shy about setting expectations high. This is it. He pulled it out of his pocket on that stage more than two years so ago. this little medallion is simple, is elegant, and is personal. This amazing device will redefine travel as we know it. Today, four of Carnival Corporation's ships have the technology on board, all sailing under the Princess Cruise brand. And Donald expects that to grow and have an impact on the company's bottom line in the future. By the end of this year, at least five um, vessels in our Princess Cruise lines uh, will be ocean-ready. Um, by next year, it'll be, I think, up to 11. And so we're now getting to the scale where we can really, you know, uh, measure and quantify the impact as, as this continues to roll out. Uh, we've seen some tremendous response to it. Um, but again, until we get to full scale, we'll, we'll have to see what we have. What is the cost of retrofitting a vessel to accept this technology? What's that look like? Yeah, well, we've done a, a number now. Yeah. So it's a few million dollars, you know, per, depending on the size of the, of the vessel. It's a holistic experience for the guests and for the crew. And as you know, uh, technology in the main is there to enable experience. It's not about the technology, it's about the experience. And for us, crew make the difference with guests. Happy crew, happy guests. And so the more we enable our crew to deliver you know, and exceed guest expectations, uh, the, the greater you know, we're gonna benefit. And that's what it's really about. So this technology just enables the crew to really give the guests that customized, personalized travel experience that they want. As you continue to expand the rollout of this Ocean Medallion program, when do you anticipate it having a material effect on the business, on the finances? Well, if I listen to my princess team, uh, even though they only have it on about three ships right now, they believe it is having a material impact on their business already, and, and I have no reason to doubt them. Um, but I think for it to have the level of impact that, you know, um, we begin to get a return on the level of investment we've made, you know, we have to get it on the fleet and then begin to look at possibly expanding it across other fleets if it makes sense. Are there applications outside of Carnival Corporation where this technology could have? Well, tell me if you think about it, um, a ship is what? It's a hotel, it's a restaurant, it's an entertainment venue, it's a spa, um, it's all these things. And all those things exist on land. And so if this technology works great in the ship environment, um, there's, you know, high probability it could work great in a lot of different land environments. Right now, we're f focused on perfecting it and getting the experience and getting the human interaction with the technology required for it to be successful at sea. And uh, from that, we'll see what we have, and, and we may look beyond that. This proprietary technology was developed in-house at Carnival, correct? Yes, it was de developed in-house. Um, it's a tremendous investment. 
Uh, we have two patents with 45 claims already received. We had a third patent with another 90-something claims pending, I believe. And so it's in-house technology um, that, you know, we can take to the world if, you know, in the end we find that it really resonates, you know, with the guests the way it looks like it is. Have, has it resonated with others in the hospitality industry? Others in the hospitality industry have approached us already, absolutely. Uh, but again, we're trying to make to sure. To license the software or license the hardware? Uh, they're very interested, and I'll, I'll let it go at that. And so we'll see what happens. Carnival Corporation CEO Arnold Donald speaking with us in August in his office at the company's Doral headquarters. The company has close ties to the Bahamas. After Hurricane Dorian, the company partnered with freight company Tropical Shipping. The effort will ship food and supplies donated here in South Florida to the northern Bahamas. When announcing the partnership, Donald said it was the first of what he called many efforts to help the Bahamas.